Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we have another edition of Amateur Hour here on Crafted, and we are also today making good on a promise that we made at the end of last year when we had the product manager of Atomic Ski Boots on, Matt Manzer, talking about scotch. And really, even though we call this Amateur Hour, that conversation that we had with Matt was really more of a masterclass. I mean it. Even if you know a lot about scotch, check that episode out and tell me I'm wrong. But anyway, when we got to the end of that conversation, we thought we still had some more work to do when it came to our deep dive on scotch. And so today, not only are we bringing you part two, but Matt and I recorded a three and a half hour conversation about scotch. And of course, as is our style, we talk about a few other things along the way as well. And so we are going to be rolling out part two of the conversation that Matt and I recorded this Sunday. And then a week from today, we will roll out part three. And this is probably a good time to confess, well, what you might already suspect. That is when you have a nearly four hour conversation about scotch and you are sampling scotch for most of that time, well, things get looser and looser as we go. You'll probably catch more of that in part three, but part two is still really fun, I promise. And Matt and I dive deep into this very fascinating world of independent bottlings. And while this might sound super niche to you, I'm going to wager that by the end of this part two and part three, you are actually going to come around to not just see this as some weird niche thing that happens in the world of scotch. I think it might get you thinking differently about a number of some of your favorite companies, maybe some of your least favorite companies in a certain product category, and cause you to do some fairly serious reevaluation here. And that is exactly the type of thing we like to do here at Blister. This episode of Crafted is presented by our Blister Craft Collective, which is a collection of some of our favorite craft companies and some of the very best companies across a range of craft categories that support the independent work that we do here at Blister. So you can learn more about the Blister Craft Collective companies on our website, and we'll include a link to the Craft Collective in the show notes of this episode. Also, I'm very happy to report that we have just brought on two new companies into the Blister Craft Collective, and we will be telling you more about those companies very soon. So take a look at our Blister Craft Collective, because I am confident that some of the companies listed are going to become some of your new favorite companies too. And now... Let's start our extremely deep dive back into the world of scotch 
with Atomic Ski Boots product manager, Matt Manzer. Here we go. All right. Well, I am very happy to be back here on Crafted with Matt Manzer for part two of all things scotch. Um, you and I actually just listened to the end of our part one podcast. <laughs> and I honestly, that was some real good podcasting. Uh, that was pretty funny. It was getting a little loose, oh, which... yeah. It's it's always our best moments, I think. The loosest moments are our best moments. Um, it was getting a little loose, but I actually thought it was pretty funny going back and listening to a conversation that we recorded at the end of uh, 2022. And um, it's time. We're overdue. We're very overdue. It's great to be back on. And it's always fun doing this with you. So thanks again for having me on. I'm looking forward to the mischief we create here. So, my first question is actually, uh, you are a ski boot designer for Atomic. What does a ski boot designer do in the middle of the summer? What does life look like for you at this point in time? Yeah, life for me as product manager is uh, juggling a bunch of things all at once. and. Even though it's summer and people might think, oh, it's summer, it's time off or it's slower, which August tends to be slow because Italy, pretty much all of Italy goes on holiday for a month, which is if they're on holiday, we can't do much. Yeah. But for the most part, this is when we're full speed ahead on R&D projects, design projects for future collections, right? So what we talked about after the summit with like the new 23-24 range, that stuff is so in the rear view mirror for me that I kind of have to go back and look at the catalog to see what we did, to be mm -hmm. honest. Yeah. So we're honestly waist deep into the 25-26 uh, collection at this point. So 24-25 is... Uh, is coming. This is what we'll be prepping for this winter to kind of show off. Um, but the R and D team is full speed ahead on, uh, on snow testing for the 25, 26 products. So even though it's summer, we're still trying to find snow. We're still trying to find glaciers in Europe that are open, which it's actually been kind of cold here huh. in Austria, uh, in July. So it's actually proven to be pretty okay. Um, but then once August hits, we're going to be sending people to South America for some testing of things too. Yeah. So even though it's summertime and we're talking mountain bikes, like we just were before we hit the record button, um, when it comes to the jobby job, we're still pretty busy and we're, when one collection's done, we're always on to the next one. And obviously two years, well, three years out from where normal skiers think about new product right yeah. now for example yeah got it okay mm -hmm. we well, should also so, say yeah. the day this episode drops which will be a wednesday something like august 3rd 3rd yep um mm -hmm. you're also going to be joining us on a live stream blister happy hour 
where we will talk more about bikes uh, and okay. answer some questions about Whis- ski whiskey boots. 2.5. Whiskey 2.5. Uh, we'll see. That's entirely up to you. Um, but so that, yeah, for anybody who hasn't heard that, for Blister members, you can log in, uh, go to the Blister member clubhouse and log in at 12 p.m. Mountain Time. If you want to ask Matt Manzer some of your own questions, maybe hear about his newest bike. We can talk about that. We can talk about that. So that'll be Blister Happy Hour, 12 p.m. Mountain Time, August 3rd. Okay. Now, that clears that clears the way for us to talk about what I actually think is your favorite thing in the world. I actually think you are more into scotch. You you can't talk about skiing in general or like skis the way you can talk about scotch. You can talk about ski boots as well, maybe better. How, he, he's processing. <laughs> I'm actually, yeah. Uh, boots, I would hope I can talk better about boots than whiskey. Skis, I was just thinking, that's not true. And then I'm thinking, that's probably true. Yeah, it's probably true. I've talked with you yeah. about skis. You, you're better yeah. on scotch. Yep. And that's, I got to <laughs> defend myself a little bit here. You can try. Only because, only because since working for Atomic, I've got, I'm not able to ski on as much stuff as I used to when I was a retailer. With skis, per se. So I spend less time on varying skis than I did in the past, but boots, for sure, I'm on everything. Um, so you're probably right. It probably mm. goes boots, whiskey, bikes, maybe. Mm. Bikes and whiskey, we could go round for round. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, talk a little bit about our last episode. Uh, I mean, it really was. Uh, kind of a masterclass, I think, in scotch and certainly as an introduction to scotch. What in particular do you want to highlight from our last conversation to sort of lead us into today's conversation? Well, it probably goes without saying that you should fully immerse yourself into the first part one, yes. right, before you watch this or yeah. listen to this. Um, however, one of the things we got into towards the the latter ramblings and tangents towards the last 20 minutes, probably of the, of the podcast, we started talking about independent bottlings and that's what we'd like to go down the rabbit hole today on, mm-hmm. I think is to go explain what that means a little bit and uh, just throw ourselves into that can of worms, bottle of, bottle, worm, bottle of worms. cask of scotch, um, bottle of whiskey. We're also, going to talk you have to do this we'll probably save it for the very end you're gonna say at least a little bit about sherry because at the end of part one we said that in our next conversation we were going to talk about sherry more spoiler i don't think we're going to have a lot of sherry talk today exactly so that We'll do a little bit at the end on that, but it'll come into play a little bit, I think, here. So, anyway. Uh, it'll probably make its way into the conversation, okay. honestly, at some point. Because all of the whiskeys that we're going to be, at least the two you've got, the two that I'm going to talk about primarily, 
sherry is involved in this besides the whiskey itself. Okay. Now, before we start talking about the stuff we're supposed to be tasting and learning about today, I wanted to ask you first, what is your current fanciest bottle of scotch and what is your current favorite bottle of scotch in the collection? Because I went back and listened to it and I had forgotten that at the end of part one, you said that your current collection was up to something like 70 whiskey bottles and 60 of those bottles were probably scotch. That's probably true still. Okay. I've actually gotten, there's always more coming in, but then there's things that I don't reload on. So they kind of fade away. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, that's relatively true. Yeah. I have a cabinet that is full. There's a full heart, full cabinet. Yeah, I could, I could probably start squeezing more bottles into it, but right now it's full. So I'm trying to keep myself on a a limit or a rule that uh, in order to get a new bottle, one has to leave type of thing. Good rule. Because otherwise, they're just going to be sitting on the floor. I'll be (laughs) tripping all over them. Okay, so what is the current fanciest bottle you have? Fanciest. I mean, it honestly kind of goes hand in hand, but I'll split it up for the sake of having two things to talk about. Um, I think the fanciest bottle of scotch that I have is from a a family-owned brand called Glen Farkless. Mm -hmm. And I think I said this in the, the previous um our first discussion on this the glen farkless range of whiskeys is all sherry matured meaning they mature the spirit in a sherry cask a cask that originally held sherry for whatever number of years and their their normal range isn't to be honest isn't super spectacular but they have a collection of of bottlings that uh, they had reserved for the family that they just wanted to set aside and hold on to. And um, a few years ago, probably 15-ish, 20 years ago, they said, hey, we should, we can sell these. We've got enough floating around. And so they've got these special bottlings um, that they call the family casks. And they're all special things that they've they flagged as being unique. Like the cask quality is just so good that they set it aside. They don't put it into the normal big batches of, of whiskey that they normally bottle. Mm -hmm. And so this is, as we'll see, this is probably as close to finding an independent bottling Hmm. of Glenn Farkless as you'll get. Cause they don't, you never see independent bottlings of Glenn Farkless. And we'll explain what that means in detail in a second. But the reason they don't do that is because they hold it back for themselves and they sell it under this special moniker of family casks. And this is a um, 1996 vintage uh, that was bottled in 2021. So it's 25 years old. It's a, uh, a single cask. It's a first fill sherry butt. And that's the size of a cask. If you remember, it's not anatomically speaking about anything. Um, so yeah, first fill. So 
sherry came out, and once the sherry was done, they put in the whiskey. And this is the only contents since then that the, the cask has held. So it's really dark in color. So it's like a really dark uh, red, reddish brown. And it's bottled at cask strength, 52.3%. It's one of only 542 bottles that came out of that cask. And cask number uh, 1070. So they're putting a lot of information on this that they normally don't put on their normal bottlings that we'll get into why in a second. But uh, that's probably the fanciest bottle that I have. Glenn Farkless Family Reserve 1996. Fa- yeah, Family Cask family 1996. Cask. Yeah. Okay. First fill, sherry butt. First fill, and, sherry butt. And that's also one of the best tasting scotches I've got, to be honest. That's not going to not blow anybody's mind if uh, you ever have some of that. But one of the things that I've recently picked up that I'm pretty excited about is from a company called The Red Cask. And this is an independent bottler um, that Hmm. has selected a single cask from the Tiananich Distillery. It's a first fill Oloroso Sherry Hogshead. Um, cask number 716903. It's one of 247 bottles. Huh. So a hogshead is a very small cask and it's 13 years old. And so when you get a hogshead that's 13 years old, it matures the spirit faster than if it was a, a larger sherry butt for 13 years. Mm-hmm. So this, even though the age statement isn't super high or very old, it's it, it tastes as if it were matured and much longer because mm. of the smaller cask that was used. And so, yeah, this is, um, yeah, like I said, it's from a company that actually doesn't make any whiskey themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be one of the things we'll learn about today. But they've gone to this this distillery and said, um, you got anything special hiding in the back there? Mm-hmm. If we take a look. And uh, they found the single cask and we're, blown away by it and it is very yummy good stuff but it's you're not ready to put it above your glenn farkless family cask i mean no it's not as good but it's not one third as good like based on price yeah right so, so talk, it literally cost me talk price range yeah, a little bit uh in euro um the Glenn Farkless was like 350 mm-hmm. which is expensive, right? That's oh. a lot of money for a, for I, a I bottle like, of juice. Thanks for telling us that's expensive. Right. However, However, in the grand scheme of scotches, that's not – that wouldn't blow anybody's minds in terms of most expensive bottle, mm-hmm. right? Or where where you can actually spend within the family cask range up to – I've seen at least 10,000 euros on a single bottle of a family cask. Yeah. How is that like there's one or two of those or you could find multiple producers doing a family cask that might be approaching 10,000 euros? Uh, I would say every every distiller you could think of that you could buy a single malt scotch whiskey from, they've got whiskeys that they could sell to you for 50,000 euros. Easy. Easy. 
most 50 year or 60 year scotch whiskeys are fetching that price 50,000 sure. euros easily dear yeah. lord yeah the most expensive single bottle uh, i believe was a macallan it was some 60 65 year old macallan and went for 1.9 million for a single bottle that's your favorite the most from your favorite producer we can bag on them uh, a little bit. <laughs> we t- um, I'm sure it's amazing. I'm sure that would be an awesome whiskey, but get the fuck out of here. Like a mi- 1.9. 1. 1. Wow. Our bag holds the title. Um, so one of the, the Isla distilleries, so very smoky, peated scotch, Ardbeg. Um, they hold the title for the most expensive whiskey sold, and it was a cask and um, a very rich. Um, I believe Japanese buyer, um, who were named nameless. They didn't want to like get their information out, <laughs> um, for it. But they spent nineteen million on a single cask, and from Ardbeg. Remind us a bit about just to define terms: cask versus barrel versus yeah. What like how how much juice are we getting out of this cask? So barrel refers to a size of cask actually i think a barrel is 250 liters uh in size here um something like that um small like the super small stuff tends to be like an octave excuse me octave that's like 50 liters and the smaller the cask is the less bottles you get out of it yeah. but the more intense the flavor is the more quickly matured the spirit is because it has more interaction with the wood yeah so when you have a very very large cask like um a puncheon which is 700 liters you've got less wood interacting with all of that spirit Mm -hmm. so it takes much longer for a spirit to mature properly in a puncheon so so large back to arberg and the 19 million euro cask yeah 19 million euros i think we don't know how big or small of a cask that was but your Uh, guess i think it was a hogshead i I think i could double check that but it it wasn't a huge cask yeah (laughs) okay and it's so old that you know there's what's called the angel share where yeah there's a certain percentage of spirit that's lost every year so this cask is not full they're only getting yeah a certain percentage out of it. It's like when point. you it's like when you buy a bag of Doritos and it's like this big, but actually <laughs> exactly. this only filled like that much. That's pretty that's, much what it is. That's what all the potato chip companies, they should start offering a bag called the Angel's Share. Right? It's just air. That's it's, pure air. Yeah. I mean they already do basically, but they could probably charge <laughs> more by not filling the bag uh even close to the top, which they already do. But yeah, the angels share potato chip. That's a great idea. Any New potato marketing chip, tactic. Yes. And they just started yeah. charging extra 50%. If it, you know, it would only make sense if the more angel share you had, the better the potato chips tasted. Right. You're getting less, but there's so much better. <laughs> well, we'd have to, again, marketing can take care of that. Give us five minutes yeah. on that and we could figure well, out the language for that. Um, we'll let the gurus do that in mm-hmm. the office across from us. Okay. Now, 
we've talked for 21 minutes now and have not had anything to drink. I think we probably need to change that. Plus, I need to open up two new bottles um, here. So, okay, you've given us your favorite and your fanciest. And we've talked about, you know, probably next year we'll buy a couple of 19 million euro casks. Uh, that's probably well, we each get our own cask. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. No, do. and then we have to try on it our trip on to cre- Scotland. Yeah, we'll go each buy a cask. We'll roll it home, <laughs> and then we'll just talk about it. Yeah, but I, I thought you would be proud of me. I actually am sitting here, somehow, like largely because of you. I have one, two, three, four, five bottles of scotch in my possession now. And I can tell you about them. And then I can tell you about the one whiskey bottle that's on the desk. But it counts because I traded for it a bottle of Buna Haben 12 that you made me purchase for our previous com- conversation. But then I found somebody who was willing, my dear friend Larry, and he's the best. He's also an incredibly generous person. But uh, I was... Uh, you know, we were having a whiskey night, just doing some tastings. And Larry was like, man, I really love this Buna Haben 12. And um, he had brought a bottle of a Midwinter Night's Tram from High West, which is a very good rye whiskey blend. And I finally, he'd said it so much about the Buna Haben 12. I was like, well, I I'm, I'm ha- would happily trade you that Buna Haben 12 for that bottle of a Midwinter Night's Dram. And uh, and Larry traded me. And so, mm-hmm. um, anyway, so this would have been a bottle of Buna Haben 12. I traded it. But then for this conversation, and then you were very mad at me. But then for this conversation, you were like, well, you're going to need to go get another bottle of Buna Haben 12. So, I did... So it's back, unopened, as Ta-da. you can see. Um, mm-hmm. So should I should I open this now? As I keep, you talking? should open that. Okay, and just uh, while you're opening, because you got a faff with the uh, the aluminum yeah. wrap that's on the top of it. I'll just talk to our lovely viewers here for yeah. a bit. We're doing a nice little experiment here today for you folks. Um, we're gonna dive into the world of independent bottlings and compare them to official bottlings. And so, what I've had Jonathan do, that's a great sound, um, we're both drinking Bunahaben 12, so an official bottling that you can get pretty much everywhere, um, whether you're in Europe or North America, wherever, readily available, super good stuff. And then we have an independent bottling from the Bunahaben distillery, Um we don't have the same thing as we'll find out because this would be pretty tricky to do, but we'll compare the official bottling to an independent bottling and just see how different they can be. And this will be a pretty fun experiment. So I'm going to reload on my Bunahaben 12 okay. as well because I've been. Should I uh, should I go ahead and also open this Bunahaben? It is a cask type, but. 609 bottles status it's status is working so that's nice i Which appreciate i'm not it. sure what that i appreciate is, a can, scotch that isn't just that lazy out. sitting around it's working for it it is uh aged 11 years 
It is 58.1% alcohol. Yep. So pretty stiff. No slouch. 106.2 ABV. Not 106. 116. Have you, have you already had whiskey already? No, or no, no? I just I haven't had enough just coffee that, today. Just that good at math. Yeah. All right. Let's open this one up. And what I want to say, you have promised, I told you if I went and bought this, you had to come to the Blister Summit and you said yes to that. Don't think I've Here forgotten. So, this means you are coming to the summit. It also means I promised not to finish this bottle so that you will have some of this at the summit. And so, it's on tape. It is out there in the public. You don't have, you can't like back out now. Just want to establish only that. Only if you say it's good. If you don't like this bottling, then I don't want to come drink it. Well, how, why would you trust my, you're the scotch guy, not me. Like, why would you trust my opinion on this? That's true. It's a great point. Trust your opinion in general. So here we go. The first. You're so jealous right now. Uh, Ooh, that's a good one. What's it smell like? Give it. Give a little quick. I I've said this in the past. I don't feel like when it comes to tastings, whether it's wine, coffee, whiskeys, I don't think my like olfactory senses are. I think I have a nicer or a better sense for like textures and finishes. Well, does this smell smoky? A little bit. Like peated? It does. A little bit peated? Yeah. Okay. Which means I'm probably going to hate it and you might like it. Well, but we'll see. It actually smells very peated to me. Oh, okay. Interesting. But let's compare it. See, to this is going to be a fun thing. Most expensive immediate purchase I don't like. Yeah, way different. Mm-hmm. Bunahaben 12 doesn't hit you with the smoky peaty thing. It shouldn't. Yeah. Right. This is a very different. So pour, pour that wow. 11 year old independent. Yeah. I'm going to keep. And uh, we should let these sit for. So a, a pretty fun rule of thumb is you pour the whiskey and just let it sit in the glass one minute for every year that it's old so we're 12 years old let it sit in the glass for like 12 minutes ish just let it settle let it do its thing and so that gives us some time to talk about why we're picking these two things here well can i first finish with showing off my collection of uh of scotch excuse me by all means so we have from our let whoop coaster came with it we have from our first conversation, you told me to go get the, we're pronouncing this Aran. Yeah? Aaron. Aaron. No. Nope. We're pronouncing yep. this just Aaron. Like, just like someone's Aaron. name. Yep. Aaron 10. Aaron. We described this as a wildly drinkable, like I can't imagine, I think this is what I said about it. I can't imagine that a whiskey fan would object to this. It just yep. seems like a super approachable, non-peated scotch. Agree with that? Totally. Okay. Yep. Um, I also have, thanks to our first conversation, a Blister member and friend, shout out to David, sent me a bottle of this Bowmore 18. And his thinking with this is that he heard me talk about, well, Smoky PD is not my favorite thing. He sent me this and then he's like, we're going to get on a call when you open it. We did all that. 
And the big thing for him was we're going to try it straight, just neat. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to add a little water. And adding that water really, really reduced the smoky, peaty flavor of it in a way Mm -hmm. that for my palate, I very much liked and quite enjoy this bottle. A question for you is, is that just generally true? Like by adding water, are you going to sort of diminish the campfire-ness of a peated scotch? Well, what water is going to do is, well, let me back up. Alcohol, just the way chemistry works, and I'm not going to be very profoundly explaining this, flavor is attached to the alcohol in in spirits. And so whenever you the reason you add water to a whiskey is that it will, helps release flavor. It helps calm down some of the rough edges that may be still in the spirit. And so what you're doing, it basically you've got right now a very concentrated bottle. Which bottle of are we talking stuff. about? All of it. All, of it. All the scotches yeah. that you've just shown. Um, is the Bowmore 43% or 40? Bowmore. 43. Yeah. So 40 is the minimum that whiskey can be. And essentially the company has kind of already watered it down for you. So if you add water to 40% scotch, mm-hmm. you can drown it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to to come back from that. So most of the scotches that we're looking at today um, are going to be higher strength, meaning 46% or cask strength, like whatever it comes out of the cask at. And with all of the scotches that we're going to check, we're going to try them neat, just like what your friend suggested, but then add water to them in measured amounts um, to see how the flavor profile changes, hopefully improves. At the very least, you're going to see more complexity or you're going to get more complexity out of it. So there's going to be more flavor that comes out of adding water to these scotches. And it's sometimes people say, well, if they've already watered the 40% down, shouldn't you just get that versus adding water to your 46%? Isn't that the same thing? No, it's not the same thing because you're adding water into this glass, this little tiny amount versus a giant vat of thousands of liters of scotch, right? And as soon as you add the water to scotch, it's releasing aromas, it's releasing flavor. It'll eventually be lost before it gets put into the bottle. So that's why if you're into scotch, usually the more expensive scotches, the independent bottlings that we'll see, they're usually 46% or higher to allow you to add the amount of water that you like to find your, your amount of happy your like your spot. flavor profile yeah. that you want to to get at. Yeah. So so I would say long story short, adding water to a scotch is a good thing. And when you open any bottle, try it neat, but then have your as you'll see here, we've got really fancy teaspoons. Yeah. that we're going to be adding water to. Um in measured amounts so you know how much water to put into each uh, type of scotch that you have because for me some bottles i don't add any water to i've found it tastes better just neat whereas some i add one teaspoon of water to and then others especially cask strengths i add two spoons of water and then things are rolling but i think that's still 
for people newer to whiskey in general, scotches, that is, that's kind of a bit of a, I'd say common question, which is, it's like, oh, if you're really into whiskey, you would never add water, right? Or you would never add an ice cube because you don't want to water it down. And that's just not true. I think you've done a nice job of explaining why that is not like the more, if you're actually into this, you would never dare put any water or potentially put, you know, ice in. Um, and ice will, of course, melt and then start to dilute. Those are questions there. But it, you feel very comfortable in saying this is not a rule that like to show you really are about that juice. You would never dare to add any water to the whiskey. Yeah. I think if you have a hard rule that say never add water, I think you're missing out. Mm -hmm. Like there's just flavors that you're not going to get. Like the saliva that's in your mouth isn't enough water to do what we're doing with the teaspoon trick that we're going to do. Um, and especially with cask strength, you know, they don't give you a bottle of cask strength. So you drink it at, you know, full bore here. Um, that's not why they provide it to you. They're providing it to you direct from the cask and it's up to you to find your, they're letting you choose how to drink it. And maybe that is cask strength. Sure. But I think if you run the experiment, you do one glass at cask strength, the other glass with one teaspoon of water and another glass with two teaspoons of water. And you can taste and sip all three. I think you'd be hard pressed to say that the zero water added to cask strength is the best. Hmm. I just, it might be, but I would doubt mm -hmm. it. I want to show off my last bottle and then we're going to talk about spoons because, nice. you know, committed blister listeners know this has been a controversial, a sticking point between you and me. Um, so we'll talk about that in a sec. The last bottle of scotch I have in the house was actually a gift. And it was because I let a, a friend of mine um, hooked him up with a bike for several days when they were visiting CB. Standard, okay. nice standard mm -hmm. offering, right? Lots of folks know mm -hmm. Obon 14. Um, not my favorite profile as we've talked about, right? Say more about Obon 14 and your thoughts on that. Yeah. This distillery is actually very close to Fort William. So huh. when we do go to Fort Bill and watch the World Cup, this will be pretty close. <laughs> but uh, to me, it's also not uh, my favorite. It's one of the the first whiskeys that I did buy on my my journey, right? Because everybody hears about Oban 14. Um, oh, you're saying it Oban, not Oban. You yeah, say Oban. Say Oban. Okay. Whatever, right? Oban. Well, um, are you correct yeah, or am I correct? Only one of us is. I've, I've heard Oban. All right. I, I trust you. Yeah. For me, it is not hitting. It's a pretty... It's not the full 46% ABV. It's 43. Yep. Probably what you've got. Yep. Same for me over here. It is not natural colored. So it has food coloring added to it to give it that look that it has. And it's also chill filtered, which is a process that a lot of distilleries do to their whiskey to make it not get cloudy when you add water or ice to it. 
but chill filtering strips away flavor from the whiskey. Like you're, it's pulling away oils and certain things that uh, just contribute to the flavor of the whiskey. So it it doesn't have a lot going for it in terms of my checklist that I'm looking for. Plus, it also is slightly peated. Like it's not over the top, but it's just the profile for me, just flavor wise, isn't also what I've liked mm-hmm. in the in the Scotch world. Okay. That that's what I've got here. I mean, we've got a lot of bourbons and rye whiskeys and things like that. But I mean, for sure, for you, it's way easier to find. Like your bourbon collection is probably bigger than mine, right? Finding bourbons over here in Europe is kind of tricky, and they also change a lot of the bourbons over here. Like if, uh, like for example, when I buy a Woodford Reserve double oaked, it's at forty three percent here, which I think it's it's much higher. Hmm. in the states is at least 46 okay uh, on the states and buffalo trace is also done at 40 percent here as well which is lower than in the states hmm. so I don't, I don't get the same offering that uh normally would would happen which is just weird but yep. it is weird uh, it is what it is all but, right um yeah so it's a great little collection though it's a super start you got a lot of different profiles and and types of whiskeys that are there why thank you thank you for validating my scotch collection um okay so we've been given some time to this bunahaben 12 and the bunahaben 11 year old independent bottling Mm -hmm. what more should we know what do you want to talk about well before you drink it let's explain everybody what the hell an independent bottling is we haven't really explained that part yet unless you've watched the first or listen to the first episode, but quick little recap. Um, Everything a distillery in Scotland makes doesn't always get sold under the flag of that distillery. So Bunahaben 12, there is a recipe that Bunahaben has that goes into this profile that they're trying to recreate every time they make it. So when next time you, when you finish this bottle, you give it away um <laughs> to larry <laughs> shout out to larry <laughs> shout can't out to larry who's enjoying the yeah <laughs> but next time you get it they're striving for a certain consistency that you have it'll be it, it's never going to be 100 the same because casks just differ but they're they're batching enough of a certain type of bourbon matured cask, a sherry matured cask of different ages to find this flavor profile every time. So consistency is the name of the game with an official bottling like a Bunahaben 12. However, Bunahaben isn't going to spend all of their time and resources to promote single casks a lot of the times. To their credit, they often do this. They do release some special single casks um, throughout the year. However, you can imagine the marketing effort that it takes to try to bring to market a story behind 250 bottles, right? As opposed to the 20,000 or so that they make with Bunahab and 12 every time. So what happens is they've got these special casks just sitting around. They're like, it doesn't really fit with our recipe but it's a special thing that we don't want to just give away or toss into the ocean, right? So 
there are companies and there's probably i would say at least a hundred different independent bottlers in scotland alone companies that go around to these distilleries knock on the doors they've got relationships with the distillery manager or whomever and they say hey what do you guys have kicking around that doesn't make sense for you to put your time and energy to market to bring to market but we could buy off of you and we take it from there and so an independent bottler isn't an independent brand right they're not a distillery mm-hmm. they're not an indie company they don't make anything typically generally speaking there's some exceptions to this but generally they're a company that goes around and says hey you can't sell that i can let me take it off your hands and they do this to a number of distilleries to try to find really good sherry matured scotches or really good peated scotches or whatever like sometimes you get really weird finishes like it's been finished in a tequila barrel or something like that you know um so if you're looking for something unique special um limited release you go to these independent bottlers and you have to sift through all of their catalogs to see oh this this fits what i'm looking for in a whiskey right so i've got a bottle here um from an independent bottling company called signatory and they've went to bunahaben and said what do you got kicking around and they said hey we've got this 10 year old um a spirit that's been in a cast for 10 years it's a first fill sherry butt distilled on the 28th of may 2012 and bottled on the 20th of june uh 2022 hmm. it's cask number 900774 and this is bottle number 307 so independent bottlings love to promote a single cask, right? It's a special thing that if you're lucky enough to find and and buy, because uh, once this is done, it's over, right? Mm-hmm. You're never going to be able to buy this again, unless you happen to stumble on the exact cask number on the internet or in a store somewhere, right? So we kind of talked about the Oban for a second ago um this has everything that i'm looking for in a scotch from a checklist perspective it is bottled at 46 percent, so a higher abv it is natural color so there's no artificial coloring done to this to give it the look that it has it's relying solely on um the quality of cask to deliver this very very dark you know reddish brown to it and it's unchill filtered. So that means it has all of the the oils and flavors that we're looking for in it. So it's it's pretty much it's it's one of one of my favorite whiskeys that I've got, even though it's only a 10-year-old. It punches way above uh its its stated age. And this is something that it complements the 12 for me really well. They're both unpeated. So the normal Bunahaben 12 is an unpeated uh, scotch whiskey it's aged in bourbon barrels as well as sherry casks and it's mixed together in this recipe that they keep secret 
and they bottle as the 12 year old, right? And if anybody is familiar with uh, where Bunahaban comes from, it's the, the island of Isla. And Isla is known for making some of the most peated scotches on the planet, oh, in Scotland. Um, this is where Ardbeg is from, Lafroig is from, Kalila is from, all just super, you'd call them peat monsters. And Bunahaban stands out in that their, um, their official range is unpeated. They've got a 12-year, a 12-year cask strength, an 18, 25, 30, and so on. But they do some one-off releases, and they, they love giving their rando casks to um, independent bottlers. And you have one that you, you just picked up from what company? What's the name of the company? The Single Malts of Scotland? Yeah. Yeah, so this is the the uh, the name of the independent bottler, and they'll go through again all sorts of distilleries. You can look at their catalog and see what they've got online. And they went to Bunahaban and did the whole run through. They sampled a bunch of casks and they found one that they that they really liked, and they bottled it. And the one I actually did research on this specific one that you have. This was bottled specifically for the U.S. market. So huh. I won't be able to find this in Europe, that's actually. Why, that's why you got to come to the summit. Got to come to the summit. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm really curious to see what uh, you think of this. But um, from judging by the looks on the color that you've got, that it was matured in a sherry butt, but the the, the original spirit was made with peated barley. And I that's what you smelled on the nose. I'm guessing when you taste it that's what we're going to we're going to figure out here. By the way, it does say on this bottle distilled and bottled in Scotland distilled and bottled in Scotland Elixir Distillers London. Yeah. So we have so, el- the single malts of Scotland then it says distilled and bottled in Scotland, Elixir mm-hmm. Distillers London. There's a lot going on yeah. here. Elixir Distillers is kind of like the the parent company mm-hmm. from what I found. So there's actually three types of independent bottlers under this umbrella. One of them is Single Malts of Scotland, which they tend to, from what they at least say on their website, they um, they reserve for the kind of more high-end stuff which is hopefully what you got there. About to find out. <clears throat> All right. About to find out. We are 49 minutes into a whiskey conversation. I have not had a drop of whiskey. That's a shame. I know. We should change this. Let's change it. Okay. I'm going to do the right, the, the Bunahaban 12 that we've had previously. Yep. Cheers, buddy. As I smell it. What does it smell like to you? So to me, one of the, the hallmarks of Bunahaban 12 is its spiciness. It it really smells like a gingerbready Christmassy fruitcake type of thing. <laughs> a gingerbready fruit are fruit cakes gingerbready? Kinda. I don't like know. Like you get like fruitcake. You get there's for me, I get cinnamon, 
little bit of baked apple, especially when you taste it. And this is a 46.3%. Mm-hmm. I want to add good, water. Good. Do you add water to this one? Uh, I typically don't, but I mean, it's a, I have, and it's good to do. That's right. I learned it was good to do. Let's do it. Take so, your magical spoon. The magical so by the sp- way, this spoon, for everybody who doesn't know, um, Jonathan refused to use spoons of any sort until I sent him one of my own spoons. So right. he opened up, he opened a box of ultra extended one thirty boa boots mm-hmm. and out of the liner popped this spoon. That's right. So this is a it's about time. It was kind of a sticking point with us. I thought it might end our friendship. Um, yeah, but so this, this spoon has traveled from Matthew's kitchen <laughs> in Austria now to Crested Butte. And this is my whiskey spoon. And you were trying to say, so h- how much water do you want to add? I take it not that much, right? We're going to do, what are we doing? You can there? do a full. Do a full? So this is a five milliliter teaspoon. So the reason I like using spoons, at least when you know the volume of water you're adding versus a pipette or a, an eyedropper, you can always add the same amount. Once you get the pour, right? You know, um, this is a a relatively hearty scotch. This is 46.3%. Um, it's very, I would call it oily. Like it's not thin, you know, there's got a lot of substance to it. So you add the water, give a little swirl in the glass and then, uh, go for it. I don't feel like it changed it radically. Not, it's not going to be a wildly different whiskey, but if for me, there were just more flavors popping up pre pre or post after post now i'm i'm not the most amazing taster of of whiskey or wines i can't tell you all the flavors that i get out of things but there just was just more popping off the palate that time for me you know what word just came to my head and it's probably not even accurate i just thought caramel yeah no no for sure but i didn't think that yeah pre-adding water could be i mean you're when you add the water again you're releasing more flavors and just you're breaking things up a little bit in a way where you can identify better these things but for sure there's caramel in that totally i get that too there's caramel caramel i like how we are having trouble pronouncing caramel caramel I guess it depends how you spell it. Is I just it C-A-R-A say, for you? Yeah, that's how you caramel. spell it. Caramel? I spell it, but I say caramel. It's, I mean, honestly, that feels pretty big to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you did a full spoon into that, right? Yeah. It's not like you killed it. You didn't water it down. Like, it's not dead. You know, this is a, a really substantial malt. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, so, now I'm getting Band-Aids. I don't dig that about whiskey in general. That people are like, oh band-aids? yeah, band-aids. Yeah. That's gross. I don't get band-aids. That is a That's common weird. that is a common descriptor for people. I mean, one, it's kind of with accurate. what with what scotch? Like where have you heard band-aids associated with what scotch? Um, not just scotch, just whiskeys in general. Like Okay. And probably this I'm definitely making this up. So for listeners, don't don't nail me for this one. 
but maybe more frequently true of rise. But I went from caramel to band-aid. Like I normally get like a medicinal note out of rise. I don't get that with this. Like a, I'm trying to find band-aids, medicinal, I don't know. This might be why I traded my bottle for a midsummer night's midwin midwinter night's dram. I got more you glasses. Like the- I have two I have I come with two empties so I can we'll see. Okay. But this is one of your go-tos. You love this. You are a big Bunahaben 12 fan. Honestly, for like an official bottling, 12 years, not super expensive. It's There's not much better for me. For what I like in a scotch. You know, this kind of sherried influence of spice. Um, you know, part of why you're, you're getting these, why we say it tastes and smells spicy, is the European oak that sherry tends to be matured in. It's it's a much spicier oak than American oak huh. that Urban uses. So American oak, you definitely get more vanilla flavors and notes out of in your bourbon. And a lot of that comes from the American oak that's used. So it's a little bit softer. European oak is spicy. And this is what a lot of the, uh, the sherry um, uh, makers use hence this too all right when do we go into this other thing i got and what are you Let's drinking check it out. alongside so i i said i got this other bunahaben here from hmm. signatory that's right yeah sorry yeah. say more about that one yeah so this uh recap again mm-hmm. is a 10-year bunahaben but a first fill sherry butt so there's no bourbon casks used in this. It's not a batch the way a 12-year is. Um, it's a single cask, sherry matured only. Um, so very heavy on the sherry notes that you get with this. Unpeated, um, 46%. All right. You now I'm going into my independent bottling, 58%. No water, <laughs> no nothing. We're just... I should probably just I mean, shoot this. I would smell, yeah, <laughs> get it over <laughs> with. <laughs> so when you smell it. I like the smell better now than when I, when I okay. first opened it. And this is, this is super important. Everybody really needs to let their whiskey settle. If you pour whiskey and instantly drink it immediately, you're messing it up. Give me, give me some analogies to this. Like you, um, if you had a really nice bottle of red wine, you decant it or you let it sit. Yeah. Right. The same thing is needed here. Can we, can we pause for a second? This is actually one of the coolest things about all of these more or less expensive beverages, right? Whether it's whiskey or scotch or wine, these really are kind of living things that, um, I mean, I guess it's cliched, but it's still true. Like opening a bottle of wine on a particular day at a particular temperature as it's had that much time and not more time in the bottle, it's going to be different like every single time. And I kind yep. of appreciate that where <laughs> in a in a technological age where I don't know, we sort of expect our phones or our laptops to work the exact same way every single time. 
we're just outside of that world when we come into beverages and, and many other craft products too. But it's actually pretty cool and interesting, I think. Oh, totally. Yeah. And the, the longer you let it sit and just stay with it, like the this pour that I've I've got here, you know, that would take me an evening usually to drink. Uh-huh. Sit with it. And you're like, sure, sure, we could shoot it. Yeah. But, you know, you sit with it. You, it opens up. You add a bit of water. You try it again. You know, you go back to it and now it's different. And uh, it's just super interesting. And you do it ideally with hopefully many of many times like with good friends or significant others you know and like you kind of i i absolutely um i think i've said this but i would much 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 rather pay more maybe a lot more for a product that's done really well and just drink less of it you know um, we're not just sitting here, um, yeah, trying to get obliterated uh, with an independent bottling of 11-year-old <laughs> Buna Haben. Um, but I don't know. There's a lot to like. And, and to to get into that experience of like, you you start a ride. Like, you open a bottle, you start a ride, you know, and mm -hmm. you end up seeing, as you've talked about with adding water, you know, where do you like that best and... I don't know. Pretty cool. Pretty interesting. It would drive me crazy. I've often said like, I'm glad I'm not a ski boot maker, but I'm pretty <laughs> glad I'm not a wine or whiskey maker too. Wow. So, you just had the first sip. The, uh, the 11. What do you got there? Amazingly, I like it better than the Bunahaben 12. Okay. I did not think I would off of, we opened the bottles, I smelled them. I told you it that the this independent bottling eleven year smelled heavier peat smoke. That's not mm -hmm. my jam. I think it's smoother. Hmm. It's less spicy. It's more in line with the kind of whiskeys I tend to like. Yep. Um, I did not see this coming at all. Not at all. That's awesome. <laughs> but it's um peated still. You're getting that on the on the palate or not? No, that the twelve strikes me as spicier. Um no. Hmm, interesting. So different based off yeah. the smell opening versus yeah. and again, I'm not I'm nobody should trust my thoughts on the like the the olfactory part of this. Um but that's what hit me notably about that 11, the independent mm -hmm. bottling 11. And now, no, that's a, and I'm happily drinking this at 58 without water. Yep. Whereas I, a few minutes ago, I was like, can we add water to this Bunahaben 12? Mm -hmm. Fascinating. So what, really cool. Um, I still would add water, but what I would do since you've had a couple swigs on it already fill it back up to like a normal dram level like whatever you poured it at before we'll let it sit for a couple minutes uh and then add water because if you if you were to add a full teaspoon after the sips that you just had it's probably not the right balance right okay. so get it to its proper level in the glass <clears throat> 
and then we can add water to it. But pretty cool. This is really interesting, huh? With uh, yeah, I was not expecting that at all. Um, yeah, this this is part of why I like getting um, an independent bottling or at least a single cask, even if it's an official single cask, is you're getting a lot of the distillery's characteristics there, right? They can't hide it in a batch of 400 different casks mm. that they bottle. You're getting the, the, the distillery's signature more apparently in mm. this single cask than you would the 12-year-old, which is a batch. So you're getting closer to what, you know, true Bunab and quote-unquote hmm. could be here. Man, if somebody, now, from, did, if somebody from Bunahaben was on this call, I have to think they would push back on that. They don't want to hear that, right? That you sitting there saying that this, you know, single cask, that's the more true expression of Bunahaben, right? They'd all be like, oh my God, don't say that. No, it's the, it's the Bunahaben 12s that we're slinging around the world. Know, they've, they've. I've actually seen a few interviews with some of the, the distillery manager that is at the uh, distillery there. And they seem like pretty down to earth people. If you were to talk to the marketing department, it might be a different story. But um, the people that are there running the show, it's generally known that if you get a single cask, cask strength, like that's the most pure form of hmm. what that distillery can offer. unless it is the most crazy whacked out cask possible, Yeah. right? If this was like a cask that was holding tequila or rum before, then it I would, I'd push back a little bit, right? But since it's a sherry butt, which they're known to use, and typically they don't do peated scotches, but they also do release a fair number of peated single cask offerings. Um, they would just say, yeah, when it comes to our peated stuff, this is closer to like what Bunahaben, its essence is probably, right? They wouldn't I, push back on that. So it's, the not, thing, it's not a bad thing. The thing that I'm mm -hmm. kind of calling into question now, this whole notion that you've started with that, well, you know, independent bottlings, companies can't really be bothered with that. They can't really sell them. I guess I don't see how that's true for a well-known distillery and i guess that's all relative like i'd never heard of bunahaben until we started you know till i started talking with you but if everything you say is true bunahaben has built up a nice brand why can't mm -hmm. they just send out a list to their newsletter and being like here's the next independent or you know here's our next single cask have at it and crush on yeah. that yeah, so this is where and why I kind of like Bunahaben. They do this. They play everything. They play the official batch releases of the 12, 18, 25, and so on. But then they also give a lot of stuff out to, or they sell a lot to the independent bottlers. But they also do releases of single casks throughout the year. You know, and they promote it. But by the time they promote it, you better know some. It's like buying tickets to a concert, right? You better know somebody mm -hmm. in the know who can get you one. Yeah, because they're just gone. They're, yeah. It's like at most seven hundred bottles. Like that's what you usually get out of a butt. 
is around 700. Yeah. You know, so for the global market, that's that evaporates like instantaneously. So, but they do it. And that's kind of why I like them. They, they play mm-hmm. all those cards. However, you look at some of the, the behemoths in the Scotch world, like Glenfiddich. Glenfiddich is the largest producer of Scotch single malt in the world. I have never seen an independent bottling of Glenfiddich. There might have been back in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, or something like gotcha. that. But, but currently, biggest, I've, yeah. I've never seen it. They just don't, they don't, they don't do it. Yeah. They're just such a gigantic company that making a single cask offering doesn't move the needle for them. You know, it might make their image better, which I would agree it would if they did that kind of stuff. Mm. But they, they tend not to do that. They have limited releases, don't get me wrong, and they do a special thing every year, but it's usually it's not the single cask. It's it's always a big batch of something that they do. Uh the same goes for these smaller companies like uh Glenfarclas. They don't play the independent game, they just do it on their own. Or a company like Springbank. Springbank is a really small independent distillery that is is crushing the game of like just making like the whiskey drinkers whiskey mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm. And I haven't seen an independent bottling of Springbank. They just don't need to because they do all their own core releases to that level. Um but then you get some like we talked about Tamdu on the first call as one of my other favorite yeah. distilleries. Yeah. It's rare to see them do an independent bottling huh. they exist but it's it's not common and the same goes for aaron aaron doesn't typically do independent bottlings but every once in a while you see one pop up and you're like oh that's kind of weird hmm. you know what is this do you have a sense of this of the size the production the output of a tamdu versus aaron versus Bunahabin? uh yeah they they kind of put these numbers out um, if I recall correctly, Glenfiddich, which is the largest, they produce around 21 million liters of spirit a year, right? That's kind of like your benchmark for a second. Um, then it's Glenlivet is like number two and McAllen's number three. Mm-hmm. And they're all around 20 million liters wow. a year type of thing. Uh, Haben, I believe, is like two. Million liters, yeah. Um, Aaron is around one, less than one. Um, Spring Bacon's around. Spring Bank is around that Spring as well. Spring Bacon. Spring Bank. Spring Bacon. <laughs> Those scotches starting Spring to settle bacon. in. <laughs> We're an hour in. <laughs> Spring Bacon. <laughs> okay. Um, you got started. Before- tam- you got started earlier than me today. On yeah, this. you were doing all this like setup stuff, yeah. and I'm like, I'm not waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. And then, um, okay, so spring. So Tamdu, Tamdu is like four ish, probably four million. Four million. Yeah, I'd have to check. Uh, there's some figures online. It's pretty readily available. Um, and if anybody from these distilleries is listening to me say this, they're like, "These so fucking wrong." Um, but that's what I've seen. And some of these, so like. I showed you earlier, uh, we were talking about one of my current favorites, the Red Cask I'm intrigued company. by that. I'm, I'm really this intrigued. This is cool. I'm really intrigued by that. Tell me more so about these them. Guys, 
so the Red Cask Company, um, they're part of a, like like Elixir Distilleries has multiple independent bottlings or bottlers yeah. Yeah. under its umbrella. Similar thing here. Uh, this company only goes after first fill sherry matured scotch in their offer. So you only see sherry matured stuff from the Red Cask Company. And this distillery, Tiananich, um, they don't release their own bottling. Typically, they they're a huge distillery, producing probably six or seven million liters of spirit a year. Hmm. But that's all focused to uh, the blend uh, blended scotches. So they're part of, I think, the Diageo group. Mm-hmm. Um, like a big ass conglomerate and Diageo does like Johnny Walker and, and so, open. Yeah. There you go. I just check the bottom. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So open part of their distillery operation would be to make the single malt, the 14, like that's like the, the one that they're known for. Yeah. It's kind of hard to find other Obens. Yeah. So most of what they make goes to, um, is it what's called a blend filler. Like it's, it's part of the recipe for Johnny Walker, black label or green label, you know, one of the, the colored labels. And that's what, um, Tiananich is as well. Like on their own, finding a bottle of Tiananich is hard to come by. It doesn't really exist, but there's people at the distillery who are, you know, just, they, they live and sleep, eat, breathe, dream whiskey. And they have these really cool casks sitting around that are of no service to the recipe for Johnny Walker black label, but they still exist and they're awesome. And they sell them off to these independent bottlers. Hmm. And that's what, what this is. So it's a, a way to get at the Tiananmen distillery and find out what, how they taste, smell, etc. cetera. Um, outside of the blends that they, they normally just go straight into, hmm. but they're a, a monster distillery. In terms um, of output. I poured more of this Bunahaben 11 into my glass and I've yet to, actually I did have some sips with that, without the water because <laughs> you were a, talking too much. Put a spoon of water in. Okay. Go for a spoon. And never, never jump two spoons. Always do, you know, a bit at a time, right? So you'll, you remember it with no water added and now you've got a spoonful in. Should I put a little more in? Cause I, I did take some sips. No, no, just no, just give it a go. Okay. Yeah, it's really good. <clears throat> you should definitely come to America so you can try this. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not actually even joking right now. I think you're gonna really like this. Cool. So, how did it change once you added some water to it? Funny, like the adding the water didn't like in immediate impressions. I'm not like. I can't say I prefer it with water. Mm-hmm. Um, what's wild is like taking a big old inhalation of this stuff. It's 58%, but you don't get like punched in the face with that alcohol. I yeah. I feel like I get a bigger punch with the Bunahaben 12 that's at 46% than this yeah. cast strength 58. Um, so what this tells me when when I hear that, is this is a super good cask, meaning the sherry that was in it before 
It's a super high quality wood to start out with, hmm. right? So now you're getting into the minutia of it's not just a sherry cask. It's a really well put together hmm. sherry cask, meaning it was the, the cooper who made it really paid attention to the wood that was selected. Um, the process by which it was made was done well, et cetera, et cetera. So when the sherry was out and the whiskey went in, there was a lot of interaction between the wood and the the new make spirit, like the Buna Haben spirit that went in. So even though it's at 58%, um, it's mellowed. Like the, there's not as rough or as alcoholic smelling, right? But what's interesting is, so I don't get that off the nose, the big alcohol, mm-hmm. but you drink it, it is not some thin watered down like yeah it it i would describe it as either full bodied or or yeah. nicely bodied it is not you know like i the other night at dinner you know i was at a place they didn't have a very big uh whiskey list and so just got basil hayden neat and i described mm-hmm. basil hayden as like it's kind of like cotton candy like it, you just if you were going to introduce someone to whiskey and you didn't want them to like curl up their nose or think this was disgusting, like give them Basil Hayden, right? It's like the easiest drinking whiskey in the world kind of thing. There is, there is body to this. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't get it off the nose in that big. Don't, don't drink another sip. Okay. Add a spoon of water to Ugh. it. Okay. So for me, when I've got a, a, a whiskey you, that's hang on, pause. You don't want, plus. you don't want me to add more, Cause that there's less in the glass. Okay, I can't see it super well. Yeah, add it, add it to a measure where you would normally pour okay. right. your normal measure, and then add two spoons. This might be gone before you get here. <laughs> okay, so we're going full pour, two spoons. All right. Yeah. So when I've got a a cask strength, a whiskey above fifty, especially a cask strength, I usually have a like a two spoon. I find that one spoon doesn't change it enough okay for me yeah like it's still it's still pretty strong man i feel i'm feeling good about myself right now i feel like i you haven't been like that's idiotic no it's fine look at me i mean you got to be careful with higher strength stuff neat because it might if you were to just to drink cask strength neat like all day every day like your throat would be gone <laughs> i'm just gonna tell people now that'll be yeah. my thing i'll be like yeah i'm pretty into scotch but i only drink cask strength neat yeah that'll every be like, day yeah every yeah. day so be careful with that everybody right. psa but um again uh, everything i know about buna Haben and what you've told me about this specific one that you've got adding two spoons of water to it is is not a problem um and when you think about it, distillery managers, like when they're tasting casks and they're tasting batches and their blends, like their in-house recipes of everything, they don't drink it cask strength. They don't drink it bottle strength. They are watering it down to 20, 30% ABV. Say more. Because one, they don't, they can't get wasted every day. But two, their their palate is experienced enough where they're looking for certain notes and flavors and smells and they get to it by watering it down 
to, to 20 to 30%. Where did you learn that? Is that Just something magic. like everybody who yeah. knows stuff about scotch knows? Well, since I know more about scotch than skis, I guess yeah. this proves it, right? Here you go. Absolutely. You do. You definitely know more about scotch than skis. But yeah, they, this is just a, a common practice for distillery managers. They, they water it down and they water it down to a level that they have experience with that they can, they're looking for certain notes and certain flavors, right? And if it's not there, it's not there. But, and they can tell that okay, at 20 and 30%. But nobody's drinking that no, no, no. scotch at 20 to 30%. So then they then they're like okay if they can detect the notes at 20 to 30 they're like certain those notes will be present at 46 to 58 to whatever percent hmm. that's what they say seems like i need to go to scotland and tell them that i think they're yeah. probably doing scotch wrong is that probably what should happen now just so you're aware most distillery managers are phd's in chemistry <laughs> yeah but you should probably go there and tell them what they're doing is, is wrong, wrong or the wrong way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They'd appreciate that from an American. Yeah. Who Scotland. doesn't? I'm not, I'm an American and I'm not that into scotch, but let me just tell you, I think you've been doing mm-hmm. this wrong for centuries. Sounds iffy, guys. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's probably what we'll do. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to Matt for this first part of our conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And as you know, next week here on Crafted, we're going to be back with the second half of our very lengthy conversation, which we will title part three on this deep dive on scotch that we have going on. So subscribe to Crafted to get notified as soon as that episode drops next week. And we will talk to you again real soon.